It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. It's day 54 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Our main story? Healthcare professionals are hailed as heroes for treating patients on the front lines of a global crisis. But they're facing a crisis of their own. The outbreak is straining their mental health with tragic consequences. But first, here's what happened today. Federal health regulators said they would tighten oversight of antibody tests that can tell whether patients have been infected with the new coronavirus. The Food and Drug Administration said today that the makers of the test would have to apply for authorization within 10 days of putting products on the market. Since mid-March, the FDA had been allowing them to sell the tests without any government sign-off. The FDA had originally relaxed its rules to give drug makers flexibility to get the tests to market faster. But some manufacturers allegedly made false or inappropriate claims, and the accuracy of some tests was questioned. The FDA has given emergency authorizations to 12 antibody tests and said that 200 are currently in the review process. Meanwhile, the COVID-19 treatment remdesivir is moving quickly through the drug pipeline. The antiviral drug was approved for emergency use last Friday. And Gilead Sciences, the maker of the drug, says it plans to get it to patients as soon as this week. Early results from an ongoing study show remdesivir reduced the time it took hospitalized COVID-19 patients to recover. However, the journal The Lancet published results the same week from a small Chinese study that showed less promising results. Even though the tests and treatments the FDA is fast-tracking have yet to even begin containing COVID-19, many places have already begun restarting business. That's true of companies, too. Carnival Cruise Lines plans to sail ships again on August 1st. It's the first major cruise operator in the Americas to talk about reopening. Coronavirus outbreaks spread widely on several cruise ships earlier this year. The first cruises will set sail from Galveston, Texas, Miami, and Port Canaveral, Florida. Other cruises have been canceled through August 31st or longer. It's unclear who will sail or how safe it would be to cruise with the virus still likely to be at large. When the industry shut down in mid-March, outbreaks at sea had wreaked havoc. The confined spaces were a perfect vehicle for the virus to spread, and passengers were trapped aboard, some of whom died. And now, 
our main story. In hospitals, healthcare workers are under threat from more than just the coronavirus itself. The mental health effects of the work are grave. Recently, the head of emergency medicine at a New York area hospital died by suicide. Doctors and nurses fighting COVID-19 are watching patients die at rates rarely seen in civilian medicine. And they're delivering the news to family members who aren't allowed inside the hospital for fear of spreading the disease. Hospitals are trying to treat the minds and hearts of the healers, offering counseling, crisis hotlines, and therapy dogs. I talked to Bloomberg's Emma Court about the scars the pandemic is leaving on hospital workers and what the healthcare system can do about it. These people are going to work every day. You know, first of all, they're actually leaving to go to work, unlike a lot of people who are lucky enough to stay home. Um, and then they're really in sort of the, the, the center, the epicenter of this, of this pandemic, right? They're seeing a tremendous amount of human pain and grief. And they're also bearing the burden, not just of treating a disease that we do not really understand, but they're also bearing the burden of knowing that they're kind of the sole you know, representative of the patient in this environment. People can't come in and see their family members because of how infectious this disease is. Are hospitals or other organizations or even perhaps some um, healthcare workers themselves, are they spearheading efforts to provide, say, more formal resources to to doctors or their other healthcare colleagues to, say, um, cope with this kind of stress? So we spoke with a, a couple of different institutions that were trying to offer better support to their providers. One of them was Mount Sinai here in New York, setting up a center to to screen and treat and study their healthcare workers, you know, difficult experiences through this. Um, I spoke with Julie Beavers, who's a trauma and crisis chaplain who flew out here to New York from California to be a support and a resource and help counsel healthcare providers here on the front lines in New York. People are traumatized and also the, the healthcare workers are traumatized. This is not normal. This is not their normal, you know, put on your scrubs and go to work. Um, when they go to work, they have more people to care for than might be humanly possible, right? And it's in situations that will not make sense to the training that they've had. Yes, they are experts in caring for people and they know how to run ventilators and they know how to, you know, administer uh, medications and they know how to listen to people. These RNs, these nurses aren't necessarily trained to deliver death notifications, right? There's an art to that. And they're not trained for that, right? They're not used to um, dealing with, you know, very critical patients and hearing the patient's phone ring. You know, these patients might have been just on the phone with their family members three hours ago and able to talk, and now they're on a ventilator and they may lose their life by the end of the day. And the nurses are answering some of these phone calls. And, um, you know, that's not part of their training, right? Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. An important thing to think about in, in the availability of all these resources, healthcare workers have so much going on at work right now. They're working incredibly long shifts. They don't have a lot of free time and they're sad and they're scared and they go home and all they have time to do is really eat and sleep, right? And now we're saying in your free time, you need to, you know, talk to a counselor about this. Now, that, that's something that I think would be challenging for anyone. But I also spoke with a lot of experts who said, you know, there's an additional kind of culture here in the in the medical field, and especially I think among physicians of, you know, we are the helpers, right? We don't need help. We help other people. For a lot of them, it can be easy to say, you know, I'm fine. I'm doing fine. You know, I have my friends. I have my family. I talk to other doctors about this. I'm fine. But, you know, there's a real concern that if healthcare providers don't take advantage of these resources or don't seek support in some way, that there will be kind of long-lasting scars. It's almost inevitable, I think, if you think about this, the scale of this pandemic and the scale of human suffering that healthcare providers are seeing on the job every day. I was hoping we might dig into Julie Beaver's story a little bit more, um, because as you mentioned, she had recently arrived in New York. She's working as a chaplain. And I was hoping you might, you know, give us a, a bit of a, like a pain as a picture, essentially, of how she has been um, engaging with healthcare workers and, you know, some of the things that she's seen in her or her daily experience working as a chaplain with doctors or other workers either experiencing burnout or just this kind of incredible pressures. Julie Beavers normally lives, you know, out in California and Sacramento, and she flew um, here to New York to volunteer kind of to help frontline healthcare workers with exactly some of the things we've been talking about here, right? With the sort of trauma and the difficulty of this job. And, you know, something that is really interesting about her experience is she's living in one of these hotels that there's a lot of healthcare workers living in these hotels, kind of being bussed over to the hospitals that they're working at, you know, each day. And so she really structures her day around when the healthcare providers are, you know, leaving for the day for the day shift and coming back from a evening shift, just sort of saying, hey, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. You can talk to me. Here's my card. I want to set them up for success going forward. Um, you know, it's very common for them to have nightmares. It's very common for them to, you know, go back to their room and spend the day rehashing their shift instead of sleeping, right? Um, the thing that makes this so much like war is that this isn't a one-time trauma for them. You know, it's not like somebody that has experienced finding a loved one, you know, that has died by suicide in the home or something like that, where it's a one-time, very traumatic event. These healthcare workers are experiencing traumatic events 
throughout their 12 hour shift. And then they come back and they try to get some sleep and then they gear up and go again and again and again and again. That was Bloomberg's Emma Court. And that's our show today. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com slash coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is hosted by me, Laura Carlson. The show was produced by me, Topher Forges, Jordan Gospure, and Magnus Henriksen. Today's main story was reported by Emma Court. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Our editors are Francesca Levy and Rick Shine. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.